0: Hey everyone, uh, Michael here and uh, this is gonna be our first little podcast extra. Uh, stems from our episode last week where Andrew told us all about his experience in Maryland um, and was uh, such an in-depth conversation that it ran a little bit long and so in trying to honor our roughly one hour ish uh, episode duration cap. Um I made some decisions to trim some of the trim some of the stories and of course some of you keener listeners uh, picked up on that and uh, asked follow-up questions uh, specifically about you know, the the full story about Andrew's missing transition bag as well as Andrew's full um radiative heat transfer thermodynamic math. And so for those of you who asked those questions you ask and you shall receive so here is uh the the full story of andrew's bag and the search for it as well as the number
1: crunching for radiative heat transfer enjoy yeah so basically everyone's race will have a problem um mine mine had multiple um and it didn't even stop at the end of the race so (laughs) this gets into the bag thing um Went to the bag claim, got my bike, and bike was still there. Went to get the run and swim bags, and they said, oh, well, first of all, the, the volunteer went off and looked, and she was taking a while, and I thought, oh, what's going on here? It <laughs> doesn't bode well. And then she got the, the head guy over there, uh, and I thought, oh, this is not getting any better. Uh, they continued to look and then he came back and said, okay, it's not where it's supposed to be. I'm going to go up and down the whole row. Cause probably got put somewhere else. Uh, they went up and down the whole row and then he said, okay, uh, do you want to come in here and look? <laughs> so I went in looked up and down the whole row and then, uh, and then after that it was basically, okay, like, you know, you can take a look through some of the other rows cause maybe my number was 1468. So maybe it got put in as 1684 or, uh, you know, some kind of permutation of that. And I went through all the reasonable permutations and then just started randomly going up and down rows. And he said, okay, there's still a lot of bags here. Why don't you wait a couple hours, come back later? Um, so went home, started disassembling my bike. Uh, my dad was uh, nice enough to, to go over and look for me. Um, he spent about two hours going through the bags from the number one to the number 2000, um, and he, his, his philosophy there was like, I'm either going to get the bag or I'm going to be damn sure that it's not there. <laughs> and by the end, he was damn sure that it was not there. Cause he went through every number three times. Um, Holy so talks. what I that think is a happened, dedicated man. Oh yeah. Well, it was either that or help me disassemble a bike that was covered in sticky nutrition stuff. <laughs> um, so, and blood, um, <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, yeah, so he, he went through, neither bag was there and kind of deducing what likely happened. Um, there were a number of other people who had one bag, but couldn't find the other. So that tells me that something was misfiled, right? So one bag ends up in the, the 1468 slot and another bag ends up somewhere else random. Um, both of my bags were missing, which tells me they ended up together, which means they probably both got filed together, but someone else grabbed them. Um, so to whoever might have my bloody towel, uh, you can keep that. <laughs> I, I don't need that part back, but I would like my helmet, my shoes, and my wetsuit, and my goggles back. Uh, yeah, that's some expensive stuff. Yeah, so I'm still waiting to hear back from Iron Man about that. Um, they said that never in their recollection has this happened, uh, which I think is a bit of bullshit, but that's honestly, uh, you know, they're, what else are they going to say? Like, oh, yeah, we lose on average 50 bags a race, right? That's not the response <laughs> that they're going to put out into the public. Um, uh, but it could be that maybe Maryland's never lost a bag before or never had this issue, but they basically said, okay, there's going to be, you know, a number of unclaimed bags for injuries or other people who forgot, and those all get collected, taken to a warehouse and then, uh, they'll come Are they gonna,
0: Are they going to give you your pick of stuff? Like you can pick any wet in one wetsuit, one helmet, one bloody towel out of that bunch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I might have trouble finding the bloody towel if, it's, uh. if mine's not there, uh, unless someone else had an accident, but, uh. Yeah, still don't know if I want that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's disappointing. I'm sure it'll get resolved in one way or another. Um, like I hope Iron Man steps up and if it doesn't get found, like ultimately they're the ones taking responsibility for your equipment or they should be the ones taking responsibility for your equipment. So the onus is on them to either return it or compensate me.
0: I'm sure um, in the but, 14
1: pages of waivers yeah, you signed, know. you probably
0: <laughs> signed away all that stuff. But I know. It would, be, it, would be the, it would definitely be the right thing to do from them.
1: Yeah. And from a public relations standpoint, like if they start having all these issues with bags missing, it's not going to do them any favors to say, you know, you spent a thousand bucks on this race and you lost a thousand dollars worth of equipment. We're not going to compensate you for it. Like, yeah, even if they're a for-profit organization that's that's focused on getting the maximum return for their investors, the maximum return is going to be obtained by having a good brand reputation as opposed to saving several hundred dollars on someone's stuff that you lost. 100%. Um, because if it was a bike that went missing, that would be all over social media and everything. Um, and you would be hearing about it, I'm sure. And and that's always the risk they run is that if someone's things get lost and they say, well, tough luck, you signed it away. Then if I was really uh, that type of person, I could go to social media and start tweeting at them and tweeting at everyone saying, don't race Ironman because they're going to lose all your stuff. But, uh yeah. This is just like, this is speculation at this point because they haven't done anything wrong. And I, I made sure not to get frustrated with the volunteers because they're like, they're high school students, um, yeah. who are volunteering and yeah, maybe it was one of them who lost it, but I don't know that it was that specific person who was looking for it. So what do you gain by going off and showing how angry you are? Like, it's not going to make them look hard. They're just, if anything, they're just going to want to get out of there and not look at all. For sure um, no that's the so, right attitude yeah you gotta you gotta address it with
0: the the people who actually have decision-making authority yeah so our listener question actually has uh, has to do with heat transfer um, it comes from uh, my friend and uh, local Toronto runner Michael Lynn he uh, heard our episode on heat transfer and was wondering whether our advice about wearing white on uh, hot days was actually the right way to go Um and whether or not it was better to wear black and uh, his reasoning uh, based on a study that he sent me was that black while black does absorb more uh, radiative heat from the sun uh, it is also better at um, emitting heat. And so where this makes a difference is if uh, your body heats up your black garment, your black garment then will be better um, at radiating that heat to the environment, whereas the white garment will two things. Well, not, uh, will originally not absorb the heat from your body. So it'll be like, uh, one of those thermal blankets that you put on after a race and two, that it won't emit heat to the environment as efficiently. So, um, on the face, this argument has some, um, I think some merit, but, uh, Andrew and I respectfully disagree.
1: <laughs> yeah. So radiation is, it's, the most challenging type of heat transfer to deal with. Uh, the math gets kind of weird and that weird math is what, what I want to touch on. So there's a couple different things that affect the amount of heat transfer you're radiating. Um, so there's one thing called the solid angle, which is essentially if you think of a beach ball surrounding you and you were to take something that's irradiating, irradiating you like the sun, um, basically from on that beach ball, the sun would trace out kind of a, a certain amount of area that it essentially is coming through. That's, uh, you know, that it's entering through, and that's a solid angle. So that gives you a sight factor that's used to calculate the amount of heat transfer on your surface. Um, so the bigger that sight factor, so if you have a very large sun, then that will transfer more heat to you, which is a pretty obvious thing. So basically, it comes along the line of if you're closer to the sun, um, then you get more radiative heat transfer. Same thing goes with the campfire. If you're close to the campfire, your feet get hot. If you're farther away, you feel cold. Um, and that, that all comes down to sight factors. The second part of that is there's two components to radiation. So every object is being irradiated by other objects and is radiating its own energy. And these are dealt with independently in the calculation. So the the calculation is just the sum of these two. So if you've got this radiation arriving from the sun, which is the main contributor to our bodies, it's based on um, not the temperature difference, but the, the temperature raised to the power of four, and subtract, well, yeah, the the total radiative heat transfer is just the temperature raised to the power of four, and that's arriving through a certain site angle or solid, um, sorry, site pack or solid angle, uh, and then there's a constant that's really small that's applied to all that. So, in order to get really high heat transfer with radiation, you need pretty large temperatures, and then it starts to go up really, really quickly, which is why when you're standing next to a campfire, getting close feels really hot. But if you're standing next to, um, you know, your microwave meal that came out at fifty or sixty degrees, it's not radiating that much heat back at you, even if it's taking up the same side angle. Um, so the where the the color of the clothing comes in is the amount that you're essentially giving away to the the surroundings, and the um, the emissivity is something that you are impacting, um, and. The, the difference in emissivity, um, there's black body radiation, which has 100% of the, the radiation leaving that body, essentially goes out, um, versus you might have like 95 or 90% for different materials that are lower emissivity, so that could be white. Um, so you'd be, you would definitely be radiating more heat out from a black garment, but the amount that you're absorbing is actually a lot higher, because you might have a factor of two or three difference in the amount you're absorbing.
0: So it sounds like um, you know, if I can summarize, this is a really complex problem uh, that that takes a lot of things into account. But if we can maybe agree on some high level, uh, high level generalizations, I know that's a redundant thing to say, but um, <laughs> I, I think that we, when we when chatted about this a little bit offline, we agreed that in full sun, white is still the way to go, mostly because of that, you know, T to the fourth minus t to the fourth factor the yeah. sun is you know surface of the sun is very very hot and so there's that's why even though it's very far away and that solid angle is quite small you still feel it so intensely on a on a bright sunny day and so on a on a direct sunday white is still uh in our opinion 100 the way to go but um at night let's say or maybe potentially even on an overcast day then you could probably make the case for a, a darker or a black garment. does that sound right
1: Yep, absolutely. Because now you're becoming the prime radiator, you're the hottest thing that the surroundings can see. So now you're, you're the sun that's radiating heat outwards. And if you increase that emissivity from, say, 90% to 98%, then now you get almost a 10% bump, bump in the amount of heat transfer that you're doing. But at the temperatures we're dealing with, uh, and this is where the math kind of gets a little bit more in depth, but uh, because we're not dealing with temperature difference, we're dealing with the absolute temperature raised to the power of four. If you've got a temperature of, say, well, I'll I'll deal with Celsius, but it's meant to be in Kelvin, but um, same. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: Close enough. Yeah. So uh, 25 degrees radiating something that's 24 degrees, you've got 25 raised to the power of four uh, minus 24 raised to the power of four, not one degree, which is a temperature difference raised to the power of four. So that heat transfer would be a lot lower than if you've got a million to the raised to the power of four minus, you know, 999,999 raised to the power of four. That difference actually becomes quite large, meaning there's a lot of heat transfer driven, even though the temperature difference is the same. Now the radiation is a very significant portion of that, where at the temperatures we're used to, um, it just becomes relatively insignificant. And yes, anyone who's listening that does know, that's supposed to be in Kelvin. So top 25 should be 298. Just clearing that up just
0: making sure you dot your eyes so i'm going to summarize what andrew said again because that's kind of my job here (laughs) a self self self-imposed job um keeping me on track yeah if if there is no sun the component of radiative heat transfer is either into your body let's say you're in the hot desert where the sun has warmed up the desert now it's or in the lava fields of, of hawaii let's say um if there's no sun or certainly no direct sun the components of radiative heat transfer are actually quite small compared to the other forms of heat transfer, specifically evaporation um, and convective heat transfer, especially on the bike. So the radiative heat transfer is quite small. So the the potential advantage of wearing a black garment is small, but the potential advantage of wearing a white garment in full sunlight is quite large. So that's why I think we still stick with our with our white garment um, recommendation, and the other thing that Michael's um, uh, Michael's article that he sent me pointed to was that uh, wearing a white garment is, is sort of like an insulator um, for the body. That there's there's not enough heat transfer between the skin and the garment itself. Maybe in like, you know, if this was a large garment where there was space between the garment and the skin, I would maybe agree with that, that radiation plays a role, but in the skin tight, you know, uh, race kit that, that we all wear for for cycling and, and triathlon um, radiation is a very small part of the heat transfer between the skin and the in the garment itself most of it is probably through um, you know direct conduction because the, the two the two fabric skin surfaces are in contact or through um, some kind of uh, con fluid convection from the sweat moving from the skin to to the garment and then dispersing through the garment so again radiative heat transfer there would be a very small component of the whole heat transfer formula which is of course Um, conduction convection and radiation all put together
1: excellent summary (laughs) Yeah. so I yeah I I totally agree with all that it's um, yeah it does get a little bit more complicated under certain circumstances but generally speaking if you use kind of a a real life example if you're standing in the sun wearing a black shirt it's going to feel hot if you're wearing a white shirt it's going to feel a lot cooler to be wearing that and that's just a reflection that that feeling is just a reflection of how much heat you're absorbing on the surface